Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. It's hard to imagine a world where we leave future generations with fewer rights and freedoms. Since the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills aimed at blocking people from getting the essential sexual and reproductive care they need, including abortion. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves access to care. And with supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. There's this famous experiment from about 20 years ago that's come to be known as the Invisible Gorilla. A couple of researchers filmed two groups of people passing around a basketball. One group with white shirts, one group with black shirts. They then had subjects watch that video and count how many times players wearing the white shirts passed the ball. One, two, three, four, five. We'd been doing a version of that, closely tracking the clues from one player in Mike's story to the next. Matt, one. To John, two. Amber, three. Vanessa Doe, four. Jane Doe, five. In the gorilla experiment, most people did well with the counting. It's not really that hard to count. But what many of them failed to see was the other astonishing thing happening right in front of their eyes. A man in a gorilla suit walking between the players across the screen. This is Cover Story, Season 2, Seed Money. When we last heard from ex-spy Matthew Marshall, he was under arrest, waiting for a court hearing. And we haven't told you much about the case against him yet. Remember those way-off-the-book CIA missions that Matt texted Mike about before they'd officially started their company? Like the mission to take out cartel leaders in Mexico? Quote, shit will be a bit hairy, and I'm going to lead the assault team. The government said Matt made up those missions so he could get Mike to pay for them and then just take the money for himself. There were five missions that Mike paid for, to Mexico and Syria and the Middle East. And the government was charging that Matt never even went. So, fraud, money laundering, and tax evasion. Can you record? You're not recording yourself. What? I'm Hannah Rosen. You're, you're fo- I don't see your phone anywhere near your mouth. It's right on a coffee cup. With Ken Silverstein. Oh, I have to hold it up to my mouth? No, the microphone. The little part down at the bottom. Here? You see the microphone? Where? This episode, Matt. Every time Ken and I checked in with Matt, he had an answer for everything. Like, when Ken asked Matt about the government's charge that those missions were fake, Matt told Ken, duh, 
the government was right because what Matt was really doing were double secret missions. For his boss, Mike Gogan, the texts were code because during that supposed mission to Syria, Matt told us, he was actually in Miami placating an angry mistress of Mike's with gifts. 250K in cash, yep. Why in cash? I don't know. That's just what he wanted. I went and bought a watch for her uh, and a ring and earrings. And Matt said, duh, Mike knew that. It seemed weird to us, given all the other texts we'd combed through, that Mike would have needed to put these in code. We would have expected something more like, Miami mission accomplished, bud. And then Mike texting back, thanks, bud. You can see why my little head did the thinking on this one, or whatever. So did you say that to Matt? Yeah. You did? What did he do? Or what did he say? His explanation is, oh, yeah, well, that's just because um, Mike has terrible operational security, and the guy's totally impulsive. But Matt also told Ken there was another reason for the macho man, I'll lead the assault team type texts. Apparently, they were trying to scare someone they suspected was hacking Mike's phone. And he says, Gogan and I, we came up with this idea because he had this other enemy who he says is, you know, trying to blackmail him. So Matt was writing these texts about all this manly man stuff they were going to do to help Mike intimidate a guy they thought was reading all Mike's messages. We're sitting together typing up these messages. When, where, where, when is this? I think that was actually on the first mission mm-hmm. when I came up with what I thought was a brilliant fucking idea of how to kill like a couple, you know, birds with one stone. Which again, like, honestly, Ken, this is just kind of like CIA doctrine too, like misinformation, mm-hmm. put stuff out. Matt's explanations were sometimes hard to follow. I'm probably overcomplicating this. I'm working in reverse chronological order. So let's just for the sake of making this easier. It's not that tricky to figure out. Some of Matt's tips led somewhere, but others, he would tell us these juicy, vivid details that we just couldn't verify. Like Matt told us he'd seen with his own eyes, Mike down in the boom boom room with some young girl. You know, we're like three o'clock in the morning and now the bar staff are wanting to fucking leave the bar. So I go down and a beating on the door like, Mike, it's, we have to go. And she answers the door and she's got a blanket wrapped around her. But no one else we talked to had ever seen Mike down there. And Mike said Matt was never even at the bar at 3 a.m., nor was there anyone wrapped in a blanket. When Matt told us his version of the night that Mike met Jane Doe in his condo, the details were far more gruesome than anything we found in the police investigation. I mean, she goes into details. I think I was raped. Uh, I had vaginal bleeding and anal bleeding. There was money blowing all over the room. She was a high school girl then. She was, I think, a junior uh, in high school. I mean, I've read this shit. It's not, this isn't secondhand information. I've read the report. Not the report we read. I thought it was a really important story. You know, what are the most satisfying stories as an investigative reporter? You know, you get the bad guys, right? I mean, you expose wrongdoing and people pay consequences. And in this case, no one had held him accountable and we were going to. 
So that's why, mm. uh, you know, I start feeling really queasy. On the phone with me one night, Ken described the feeling that Matt's explanations were starting to give him. Are you a fan of The Simpsons? Mm-hmm. There's this one episode where um, Lisa is going vegetarian and Homer is having a barbecue and the pig, like, somehow falls into a river and it starts floating away and Homer keeps saying, it's okay, it's okay, we can still get it. And as the pig gets further and further away, I kept thinking, it's okay, it's okay. You know, like, sure, Matt's full of shit here and here and here. As Matt's trial approached on charges that could land him in prison for decades, prosecutors weren't talking. And Mike was reluctant to share any evidence that might mess with the case. The stakes were too high. But Matt had that same send-your-lawyers-to-the-playground swagger as always. When we got the news that the government was offering Matt a plea deal, he told us... Why, why would I do that? The government was telling Matt that if he pleaded guilty to three counts, wire fraud, tax evasion, and money laundering, and paid Mike $2.35 million, they would waive the remaining counts and recommend a lighter sentence. Do you remember the tone of his voice? Yeah. I remember it as the give me liberty or give me death speech. Like, he, yeah. he was real exercised. I mean, in fact, you know, I had a friend of mine who's actually a government witness uh, call me this morning, and he was like, dude, I will fucking come there and kill you if you consider this bullshit plea. Like, mm-hmm. this is fucking crazy. You know, and everybody has said the same thing. Like, you're crazy. You're not built like that. You're not a quitter. Why would I plead guilty? I'd be giving up everything that I've fought for and stood for my entire adult life. Matt sounded chill and cocky. Damn, at least if I go to trial and that dude has to sit on the witness stand and get a searing cross-examination... He diverted into this long story about the time he and Mike actually physically wrestled with each other in a UFC-style ring in Mike's massive basement. Mike, by the way, calls this story ridiculous and false. So we're down in his gym, just the two of us. Matt says he has him in a chokehold, and Mike is refusing to tap out. I'm choking the shit out of him. He won't tap. He won't tap. Mike, you got to tap out. Then I realize he's actually unconscious, And I noticed, like, a lot of moisture on the mat. And it's like, you just pissed your pants. A classic mat metaphor for what would happen when he and Mike went at it in court. Moisture on the witness stand. Let's just go finish this, just the two of us. That call with Matt was on a Friday. The following Wednesday, Matt pulled out a pen and sign the plea agreement. Guilty. By his own admission. He said he would never plead guilty. Yeah. That's where, to me, this this part of the story starts, is that night. I was shocked. A lot of people we spoke to were shocked. Ken? Less shocked. I will not be sending brownies to Matt mm-hmm. in prison. Bits and pieces of what Matt had told us had checked out. Millions of dollars in payments to women, questionable communications, a police investigation. But thank God for Ken, who when he saw other bits and pieces just fizzle, started poking at Matt. 
There was a period where it was just like killing me. It was like, I can't fucking believe this. He promised me so much shit. That he never turned That he never turned over. What the fuck? After Matt's guilty plea, things shifted for us. We went from chasing down Matt leads, tracking the clues from John to Amber to Jane Doe, etc., to finally seeing the gorilla step into the frame. The government laid out its case in court. Like, here's what we found in 24 exhibits. And here's what we recommend. At a minimum, six years in prison. Ken read the whole thing with great interest. I mean, unless I'm the really the dumbest person in the world, I don't see any way to walk back Matt's no. guilt. I mean, there's just way too much evidence. Hold your phone up. I don't see it. The evidence helped us piece together the real story of Matthew Marshall. And to roll this out properly, I need to remind you that Matt had shared with Mike Gogan and us and everybody hours of memories full of highly specific, highly exciting Zero Dark Thirty-type manhunt scenes. Like, Mike says that Matt once told him he'd been on the scene right after the U.S. killed one of the leaders of al-Qaeda. And then Mike says Matt sent him a gift. Hey, I'm sending you a FedEx package, but it's for your eyes only. I said, okay. I receive it. I open it up, and it's a typed letter along with a little plastic bag that has uh, like prayer beads in it. Mike says that the letter described the operation in detail. And we called in the laser-guided bombs uh, on Zakari. You know, I walked up to him, and I took these prayer beads from his, as he's dying. We ourselves had seen photos of Matt overseas. Like, he sent Ken one of him in a khaki uniform and a beanie, gun strapped to his leg, on the streets of a small Iraqi village. There's like a dozen homes, there's a small green mosque, there's a white donkey walking behind Matt. In another photo, he's seated on a C-130 military transport plane. And it's like there's red netting. Same sunglasses and his ID badge hanging around his neck. It's a blue badge. The badass in these pictures, the guy who swiped a terrorist prayer beads, was the guy who'd become Mike's right-hand man. Helped Mike go to battle with an exotic dancer who was threatening him. Helped with security. Helped get his Viagra. So... It wasn't until things at their budding spy-for-hire company started going south that Mike started noticing these little lies. Like, wait, where did you say that money went? Where was that mission again? Then one day, a month after Mike finally pulled his funding from Amantor, he sat down to talk with the founder of a new outfit he was interested in supporting. A nonprofit that combats human trafficking. And this founder was another Matt type, a former CIA guy. And I said, um, hey, sorry, no offense, but my only experience with someone from, you know, your world wasn't a good one. The guy apparently looked at him and asked, Was his name Matt Marshall? So he kind of, how, how did you know? 
he's a fraud. And I said, well, yeah, there were sketchy things, I think, going on in the business. But, you know, he was one of you guys. He kicking in doors and all that cool secret squirrel stuff. No, he wasn't. So what are you talking about? Of course he was, you know, da 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 da, da. No, he wasn't. And that made me question everything. So back to the document dump. The government did not just prove that Matt concocted fake CIA missions, fooled Mike with stories of Mexican cartels and Syrian terrorists. Those 24 exhibits the government filed also told a much longer story. Going back more than 20 years, about what Matt did do and what he didn't do, and most importantly, about who he actually was. One of the first bits Ken read was about a lie Matt told at the very start of his career. It's 1999. Matt is working for the Indiana State Police. He grew up in Indiana. He's making his way up the ranks there, and to move up the next rung in the ladder, get a more glamorous job on the SWAT team, Matt apparently made something up. He says he was a force recon Marine, okay? And he gets away with it. Now, anyone who's ever read filings in a criminal case knows they can paint portraits that, let's just say they lack nuance. So Ken starts making his own calls, many off the record, like fact-checking the government's case. And if anything, this portrait of Matt as a fraud, it gets starker. Mostly because Matt just wouldn't stop spinning his stories. The problem was he just couldn't keep his mouth shut. So he starts bragging to other people about how he took part in Operation Just Cause, the 1989 invasion of Panama. And how he'd received a silver star for his service in Desert Storm in 91. There were hardly any silver stars given out during Gulf War One. Like, this is just doesn't sound believable. So because Matt couldn't... One of his colleagues at the state police, who's himself a former Marine, starts asking questions. And that leads to a full-on investigation into Matt's background. And Ken learns things like, sure, Matt had done boot camp and he was in the Marine Reserves. But that's more like the National Guard. Nothing like Force Recon. And even less like Jason Bourne. And going back even further... Ken learns that Matt had to resign from his first job as a cop after someone in town said he'd broken into their house a few years earlier. Matt says he didn't do it. So, forced to resign from small-town police, forced to resign from state police, and after that, Ken learned, he was also other than honorably discharged from the Marines. These are like... Big, stupid lies. Yes. That ultimately were going to come out and, you know... Like, these aren't, like, subtle, sophisticated, high-tech, you know, change a word here and there. Like, these are, like, big, broad, sweeping lies. Yeah. What Ken kept finding in the documents and in his conversations was that Matt would get knocked down by some lie and then get right back up and keep telling it somewhere else. Okay, Evan, I've got it working now. Ken ended up on the phone with this guy, Evan Hafer. So let's start from the top. Um, 
One day, Matt was at a banquet in Whitefish, seated next to Evan. And he was telling me this story. A Matt story. About how he had been shot in Afghanistan and how he was one of the first guys in Afghanistan. Evan himself was a Green Beret and a former CIA contractor. And he's founder and CEO of Black Rifle Coffee Company. I knew a lot of those guys. Like, I, I knew a lot of those guys that were on the ground. And the way that he was describing the story was so uh, out of the ordinary. So they're going to pick you out of the middle of nowhere and send you to Afghanistan on September 12th. What? No, that, that just doesn't happen. There's not like one man type of Jason Bourne unilateral direct action assets. Like that, that doesn't work. And I left that dinner thinking, this guy's full of shit. Purely out of curiosity, he starts calling up his CIA contacts to see if any of them had ever worked with a Matthew Marshall in Afghanistan, or at least knew who he was. So I called one of my friends that I knew uh, from back in the day that worked in that office. And he's kind of a Southern guy, you know, he's like, I'll tell you what, man, I never heard that name. <laughs> if he worked at agency during that time, there's no way I didn't know. And then I called another guy, another guy that was over there, same kind of era, said the same thing. Do you know this? And do you think the story is true? Same thing. Absolutely not. There's no way that's true. That guy never worked for the agency. There was one guy Hafer called who did know Matt. But from when he was a contractor in Mexico, not the CIA. I was like, hey, do you know this guy Matt Marshall? And he was like, oh, I know that fucking guy. He got to Mexico on this trip with us saying that he spoke Spanish. And he's like, he's like, the guy could barely order a burrito in a Taco <laughs> Bell. <laughs> oh, my God. Ken also tried to find old buddies of Matt's from the CIA. I kept thinking, well, maybe he really was in CIA, though. Like, I I don't know. You kept trying to salvage bits and pieces yes. of it, yeah. He asked Matt for names. You know, you're in Iraq a year before the invasion. You're in Afghanistan, you know, after 9-11. You're not with 30,000 people yeah. where you don't know everybody. I mean, you forge close bonds with at least one fucking person. Right. I mean, come on. Maybe you can't come up with 10 names, although, frankly, I think he should be able to come up with 10 names. Right. But he never came up with one. He came up with one for me, one name, you know, a guy who's dead, conveniently. And just in case you are not fully clocking the lengths that Matt went to to keep his lies alive. Did you see the pictures I sent you on Gmail? On Gmail or on Proton? Gmail. They're pictures that he sent me. And they were supposed to be proof that he was in CIA. Uh-huh. Okay? Ken is talking about those photos Matt sent us. One from Afghanistan right after 9-11, and the other from the Iraqi village in 03, just before the war. There's just one problem. It's not. He lied about when the pictures were taken. So the file is named Halabja, yeah. which is a town in— Yeah, I've been to Halabja. It's a famous town in Kurdistan in northern Iraq. Uh-huh. That picture was taken way later than when Matt claimed. It was when he was working for Blackwater. Uh huh. The government found the person who took that picture. This is Morgan. Hey, Morgan, it's Ken Silverstein. Morgan Lorette met Matt in 2004 when they were both with Blackwater. 
not the CIA. Ken shows Morgan the photo on the plane with the netting behind Matt. The one Matt said was from Afghanistan in 2001. So the picture that you're looking at, this is the actual picture. God, I'm dying for this to come through. Ken's version, the one Matt sent him, it turns out it's cropped. And then Morgan sends Ken the same photo, but the full frame. And there's Morgan sitting right next to Matt on the C-130 in 2004 with Blackwater. Oh. <laughs> Too far. Yeah. So that's why, yeah, in sending it to me, he cropped it. So Matthew Marshall, the one we've been referring to as the ex-spy this whole time, the former CIA guy, he of the skull and bones, paddle and knife, force recon tattoo, not a force recon Marine and never worked for the CIA. Cool. Cool. I mean, this is the end, the bitter, bitter end. I mean, there's no return from this point. It really will be hard for me to, I mean, not even face Matt, but even to call him at this point. Were you a force recon Marine at some point? In the Marine Corps, like, I went in as an infantry guy and then was an amphibious reconnaissance guy, which is not force reconnaissance. So that's not, so that's not the recon Marines. If I had stayed on the track to go, I would have, so trying to think the easy way to explain this. If you go through the amphibious reconnaissance course or the amphibious reconnaissance school Mm -hmm. at the time. So you were on track to be in the recon marines if you had continued correct on that course. I would have I would have been penned, I'd already went through the school. It again, like it's super frustrating to me because they've taken something and like bastardized it into what they wanted it to be, and that's just not the fucking case. So okay, so are you saying then that you never Claim to Gogan or others that you were in the reconnaissance Marines and they made that up? I never claimed to Gogan or anybody that I was a force recon Marine. What about the tattoo? I mean, to do, to do that, like, you don't do that unless you really wore a force recon Marine. I mean, if you're found out like, this is stolen valor. Like, they are going to be seriously pissed about this. A visit to the tattoo shop. After the break. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning 
and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. Your body is your own. That's why Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Today, lawmakers who oppose abortion are challenging Planned Parenthood. Affordable, high-quality basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. Planned Parenthood believes that health care is a basic human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies. They also work tirelessly to oppose the onslaught of new policies aimed at interfering with personal decisions best left to patients and their doctors. They won't give up and they won't back down. You can join Planned Parenthood in the fight to help make sure that the next generation can decide their own futures. The organization needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit plannedparenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. From New York Magazine, this is cover story, Seed Money. Uncovering lies involves ridiculous amounts of rabbit-holing, like Matt's tattoo. It's a very specific image called Recon Jack. Recon Marines sometimes get it to commemorate their time in the Brotherhood. Did we really need to track down where and why Matt got his? Yes. Yes, we did. So we assigned our producer, Kathleen, to the tattoo beat. He definitely booked ahead of time. The only way I'm going to be able to find him is in my old retail computer. This is a guy named BJ. He's the manager at Hart and Huntington Tattoo Company in Las Vegas. And Kathleen is trying to get him to tell us which specific artist gave Matt his tattoo. I would have to go to the storage unit, pull it out, power it up, and see if I could find any information on him. BJ actually did go to a storage unit, and thankfully, he found that Matt Marshall got a tattoo at his shop back in January 2015. We got the name of the artist who did it. I remember this, yeah. Leah Vendetta. She was on season one of Ink Masters for the fans out there. This took you like an hour and a half or something, right? There's so many designs in that tattoo. Leah told us that Matt was one of her first clients in Vegas. That tattoo had so many things going on at once, you know? It was, uh... She remembered not really wanting to do the tattoo at first, not because anything against vets, just it was so aesthetically busy, so not her personal style. The skull is wearing a camel hat and has an underwater breathing device in its mouth. A wing on one side. A knife and a paddle forming a crossbone. So much in such a small space. Anyway, she and Matt talked about it, and she recalled him saying, keep all those details. He wanted them for sentimental reasons. He told her, I've done all those things, so I really want everything in that tattoo. It was not my favorite work I've done, you know. Did he seem happy? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, can you fill us in on that? 
I mean, did you? Yeah, well, hold on. I gotta. I I do. This is the stuff that makes me fucking bonkers. <laughs> First of all, it's a jack of all trades tattoo. Of course, Matt has an explanation for the tattoo. He says, oh, you know, that was just a generic military tattoo. Jack of all trades, Ken, not recon Jack. It's a fucking tattoo. It doesn't say there's no military specific about it's just it's a jack of all trades tattoo. How did I miss it? I didn't miss anything. It was just I believed it. Frank Gallagher. The guy who'd met Matt in Iraq when Matt was working for Blackwater. Matt had talked about him favorably, so I actually thought Frank was going to be, like, super in Matt's corner. Frank actually is a recon Marine, and he was with Matt in Vegas when he got that tattoo. Frank showed us an email where they're discussing designs. Subject line, Recon Jack. How clear was it to you that it was a recon tattoo? 100%. It was a recon tattoo. That's why he got it. Do you have one? Yeah. Does everybody have one? All the cool guys. So when they first mentioned that he might not be a recon Marine, what did you think? Bullshit. You thought bullshit he must be. Why did you think that? Why was that your first reaction? Because I believed it for a decade. And so then what happened? And I started making some phone calls. To who? Because I'm a real no-shit recon guy. I know real shit recon guys. Every special military school, there's a list of attendees. Dates, class numbers, blah, blah, blah. We call it the God book. So you call up a guy, hey, do me a favor. Take a look at the God book. Look up Marine Combat Diver School. Name, social, look it up to let me know. Yeah, never attended. Jump school, yeah, never attended. Sniper, never attended. It was heartbreaking. Anyway, so I finally called Matt. I said, look, bro, we got a fucking problem. He goes, what do you mean? I said, you got to give me at least two names of guys you were in recon with. And he got fucking pissed. Fuck you if you don't believe me. Click, last time I spoke to him. Did you talk to anyone about it? Just the other guys that he bullshitted. What did you say to them? How did we not see it? And what did you think about yourself? I was the dumbest motherfucker in the United States. He got me good. Well, who did you think he was then? What picture did you put together that was different than the one you had put together? He's the most accomplished con man I've ever met. Has, that, has anything like that ever happened to you before? No. So why do you think he was the one that got through? Like, what is it about him? Well, he beat me. He beat a lot of people, so... I'm not the only one. Looked at one way, Matzcon seems small. He started with that one lie that he was a force recon Marine and kept repeating it and adding to it. And if anyone called him out, he just packed up the lie and ported it to the next place. But if you look at it another way, it was spectacular. A dropout Indiana policeman managed to convince some of our nation's best bullshit detectors, ex-CIA field officers and recon Marines, plus a billionaire, and us, a crew of reporters, that he was a great American hero. That kind of thing can really shake a person's confidence. 
Was there direct fallout for you when Matt was exposed as a fraud? I mean, oh my god, it was fucking horrendous. Oh really? Why? Well, a, I'm either the dumbest motherfucker who ever walked the face of the earth for believing shit, guilty, or I'm the dumbest motherfucker who ever walked the face of the earth for believing his shit, guilty. Everything is guilt by association. Mm-hmm. You were close to him. Yeah, I was really close to him. You're a stupid fuck. I can't trust you. He's hard not to like, though. Not that. I'm just saying, when yeah. you're in a room with him, he's very hard not to like. Oh, he's charming. and he's smart. And he, he reads a room way better than Mike reads a room. Because he's a criminal. to be honest with you, I'm not entirely sure why Matt pled. Mary Beth Long, again. But the fucker has been such a lying piece of shit that no one was going to believe him on the stand anyway. Another extremely accomplished CIA field officer who told us somewhat sheepishly that she too fell for it. John and I sat down and said, All right, we know he's fudging this a little. John McGuire, her old CIA pal. But... This doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. And there was one line that Mary Beth read in the government documents that stuck out to her. Um, and circled it and sent it to John, and we both were gobsmacked. Gobsmacked. Matt had told us so many times that Mike had secret families, secret children all over the country, which he denies, and we were unable to confirm. And now Mary Beth circles this detail in the government's court case that says, in the middle of all the chaos of the investigation and his arrest, Matt had a secret kid with someone who wasn't his wife. During all of this, while we're all coming to Matt's aid and helping him, blah, blah, these are his friends that were literally sitting in his, you know, his living room for hours at a time and flying in and out to help him. And he's too busy to look for records. So, you know, we're helping him look for records, but he's not too busy to go father another child uh, Mm -hmm. and not tell his wife and daughter about it. Uh, So, be honest. So, you don't think they knew? Go ahead. I know they didn't know. Uh. There were rumors, and they had heard the rumors. I know they didn't know. A lot of Mary Beth's anger at Matt is on behalf of his wife, Heather, and his daughter. I'm really angry about what happened to me, but I'm even more angry of the other innocent people. Yeah. It did not occur to me that Matt was a con man, basically. I actually think con man gives him too much credit, but yeah, you're right. He's a con man. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, Uh, I was not only embarrassed, but astonished and angry. And I remained that way. John and I laughed. We laughed about it the other day. Finally, after drinking, I'm like, well, you know, it happens once in everybody's life. And this guy is a master liar. Master liar. And you can hear me spit with anger. Can I just get a BLT and a cup of coffee? Yeah, absolutely. No sack for you? No. Do you have any good, like, deli pickles? Ken caught up with John McGuire at a cafe. When they sat down, John told Ken that the guilty plea came as a total shock to him. In my fucking age, I get played by a grifter? That pissed me off. 
John had seemed so certain and righteous about all the allegations against Mike. And now he was sorting through what was real and not about Matt, this guy he'd become friends with. I want to go back to headquarters and talk to personnel. I want to know what the fucking truth is. Who did he work for and when? I can tell you. I mean, I have traced everything. <laughs> oh, I'm all ears because well, I know the Listening to their conversation, it's like their relationship in reverse. Ken is John's source now. The reporter is telling the Golden Era spy that this guy he vouched for, his good friend and business partner, a person he co-signed a lawsuit with, is a fraud. There's a trust thing from inside the agency that you don't talk about what you've done before, but you talk about things that where you were in the same place with somebody that you know. People who share secrets build a special kind of trust. CIA officers, like John and Mary Beth. Reporters and their trusted sources, like Ken and John. And Matt and Mike shared a lot of secrets. A skilled con artist can take advantage of that special trust, which is why getting conned feels so bad. So when the evidence of Matt's fraud became public, there was some relief for Mike, but also other emotions. Because now the whole world knew that this very successful guy had been conned. There's a tinge of embarrassment, really, in telling this story because coming out of my mind, like, are you kidding me? You, you believe that? The fact that Mike had actually paid Matt millions of dollars to lead these off-the-book CIA missions was surprising even to the judge in Matt's case. At one point, he asked, is it a reality that private companies can do off-the-books renditions or missions on behalf of the CIA? Is that going on all the time? And he told prosecutors, when I read your brief about what he was believing, I mean, I've got to say, my goodness, how could you believe that? He turns out he repeated that to each other folks, intelligent folks, over the, the ensuing years, and they believed it too, including some ex-special ops military folks, right? So that's the crazy part, is folks who actually had done that job ended up believing it. But it seems like there was another reason that Matt could fool Mike for so long. Something you can smell in that long, romantic letter that Matt once wrote to Mike, about how they were two guys who'd had shitty luck with friends, and that they could lean on each other. Once, around the time that Mike was starting to get really suspicious of Matt, like, what was he doing all the time? Matt decided to reveal something to him. A terrible secret. Matt said that he'd been sneaking off to see a neurospecialist at the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota because he was living with an arterial brain aneurysm. That was for empathy, to evoke empathy, and it worked. I mean, who wouldn't be empathetic to somebody who had that kind of condition? He was making it up. And for fake documentation, he went so far as to set up a burner phone number and send himself a set of phony text messages from a Dr. Z. One of the messages said, quote, I know I come off as lecturing, but the importance of frequent exercise and frequent sexual release, along with some type of alcohol, one to two drinks, five times weekly, and quiet time for decompression will help us avoid a catastrophic ending. I am not making that up. This text about advice from Dr. Z, it was part of the government's case. The government found more than a dozen burner numbers that Matt had set up 
and a bunch of fake messages he sent to himself, pretending to be X or Y. He never actually showed Mike the Dr. Z messages, maybe because they're really hard to believe. Matt's explanation now is the Dr. Z messages were just a trap to see if Mike was hacking his phone. Matt kept talking to us all the way until the very day of his sentencing. I mean, are you, you must be exhausted, and you just yeah. sort of... He kept gathering bits and pieces of evidence he claimed the government was ignoring, evidence he assured us would absolve him, like his passport stamps from the years he supposedly spent in the Middle East working for the CIA. Did they have your passports? Ken was so patient. I presume you had to have turned them over. Uh, I know, I actually, so, because I'm not a moron, I knew the day they showed up at my house they were going to execute a search warrant. Mm-hmm. So I had taken those passports and put them in my attorney's suitcase, knowing that they couldn't search the suitcase. Is there any way you can share a picture of uh, of the official passport? Or is that it? No, fuck, I'll send you a picture. I mean, right now. Cool. I, I'm guessing there's no stamp for Iraq. Uh, I'd build an, well, I'll answer that later because I, that's literally where I stopped. Right. Because <laughs> I'm, you start to get cross-eyed when you're looking at these stamps because they all fuckers, you know, they stamp them in one direction and then somebody does it upside down. and Right. Ashley Nurbevig, a freelance reporter from Montana, was inside the Missoula courtroom for Matt's sentencing. The first thing she noticed about Matt was that he could not sit still. Twitchy is the best way I could describe it. When he got up to give his statement, it was kind of all over the place. He said, I feel like I've done something, like made some mistakes, and I apologize to anybody and everybody. And then later he says, I make no apologies, and I make no excuses. There were elements of, like a little bit of martyrdom. Like, I'm not going to say that this was anyone else's fault. I know that you're going to make the right decision, Judge, and I'm so sorry for how much time this has cost you. Quote, I'm a man, and I will fall on the sword. It was very tough guy ass kissing. And then Mike got up to read a statement. Like, he had full swagger going up there. He just had a very powerful shoulder sway in his steps. Mike said, quote, My name is Michael Gogan. I'm the victim in this case. Matt Marshall was sentenced to six years in federal prison, and he has to pay back more than $3 million to Mike and to the IRS. As for Matt's lawsuit against Mike, accusing him of sex trafficking and many other detailed offenses, a couple of months later, the same judge threw it out, calling it verbose and inscrutable, and as easy to read as completing a 10,000-piece jigsaw puzzle of a polar bear in a snowstorm. Federal prison, you will not be charged for this call. This call is from... Matthew Marshall. On our next and final episode of Seed Money... You may begin speaking now. Matt. Ken. Hey. 
Cover Story is a production of New York Magazine. This season, Seed Money, hosted by me, Hannah Rosen. The story originates with Ken Silverstein, who also reported it. Our senior producers are Marianne McCune and Whitney Jones. Also produced by Nora Bazidi, Kathleen Horan, and Liza Yeager. Sound design and engineering, as well as additional editorial help by Sharif Youssef. Cover Story's theme music is by Santigold. Series music by Devin Clara Fonflow. With additional music by Links to Muth, Brandon McFarland, and John Ellis. Fact-checking by Bertina Chang. Additional reporting by Ashley Nervovic. Research help from Melissa Romero-Martinez. And special thanks to Legal Minds, Alyssa Cohen, Jillian Robbins, and Samantha Mason. Also thanks to Gabby Grossman. If you're enjoying this podcast, please rate us, leave us a comment, tell your friends to follow. And if you'd like to tell us anything directly, you can send us an email at coverstory at nymag.com. Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. It's hard to imagine a world where we leave future generations with fewer rights and freedoms. Since the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills aimed at blocking people from getting the essential sexual and reproductive care they need, including abortion. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves access to care. And with supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org slash future to learn more and support their cause.